Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. Becca, Xander, I have a vow to make to both of you. Mm-hmm. Um... See, both of you seem suspicious right when I said that. Yeah. Instead of being, like, honored or, like, oh. at least pleased, you're both like, all right, here we go. Because you're already married. <laughs> it's not that kind of vow. Uh, I just imagine that, you know, with virtual reality and AR, augmented reality, mm-hmm. that's coming out, I feel like the holodeck, or at least some beta version of it, uh, is, is something that could be attained in our lifetime, right? Yeah. So I, I feel like maybe before we die, we'll be hanging out at the Good Time Society Lodge up in the mountains, and when we go into the holodeck, or if one of you is in the holodeck, I mm-hmm. should say, and you're making out with a hologram, and I walk in, I'll leave. Uh, I'm not going to stay and linger. Ah, or knock or something. But yeah, what if yeah. I half-heartedly insist that you're still welcome there? Would you stay I for will, hours then? I will still say you're being polite and I'm going to go. I'm going to be a, a good hologram wingman right now. I'm not mm. sure the situation exactly. I'll right. find my out. own minuet later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. 11001001. One, zero, zero, one, zero, zero, one. Mm-hmm. This well, is yeah, a fun to represent, one. of course, we have zero one and one zero, mm-hmm. the representatives that we first meet. Right. And yeah. then the the passcode uh, was one one zero zero one zero zero one. Spoilers. What uh, was that exactly? That was supposed to be like the prime binary number or something? Or does it represent uh, both uh, their names? What did they describe it as? A binary comes in sets of eight digits. Right. Four to or express eight. something. So naturally... Uh, if you say that, then someone would say, oh, the password's in binary. I know exactly which combination of ones and zeros to use, even though I'm not in engineering department. I got this. <laughs> We're jumping a little bit ahead, but if you look at it's the way they died. It's the four of them. They're they're in an order. <laughs> oh. And it couldn't be that simple, could it? They even That's what they're, I think that's what they were alluding to. Oh. That makes sense, because I was very confused as to why they died lying upon each other, or quote-unquote died. Yeah, Um, yeah. Well, what happens in this episode? (laughs) Well, the synopsis, uh, for at least from Memory Alpha, is that while a group of technologically advanced aliens board the Enterprise to update the ship's computer system, Riker discovers just how real a holodeck character can be. Oh, yeah, she can. Also, that's not all that's getting updated in this episode. They got a huge budget bump or something because there was really intense alien costumes. There was just a lot more, Jake, in our last episode. You noticed some fancy camera work. This was all about the fancy camera mm-hmm. work in episode 11001001. We're going to get oh, it right every else time. I noticed. Yeah. <laughs> no, we can We're never say it officially. It. Too. Yeah. <laughs> they could have just called it binary, but no. Right. <laughs> One of the more impressive shots uh, from this episode was actually a reused shot. Do you know mm-hmm. which one it was? It was reused from a different, uh, from a Star Trek movie. Troy, in episode one, staring <laughs> out into the distance, saying that they feel something. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, not quite. The, it's actually the opening shot where Enterprise is going into the space dock. That shot is from Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. As a oh, what? And I think they just put another Enterprise in. Oh, so yeah. it's part of the remastered? Uh, no, I, that no. was the, in the original show. They actually had that surprised. shot. It mm-hmm. seems like, and you mentioned about the sets and the costumes and stuff. I guarantee you this was reusing sets from other productions that were like in the house or something like that. Probably. Thank you. Costume. You just reminded me that there was a moment where we see Yar and Worf heading off to like yes. competitive dodgeball or something. Parisi I squares. What it it's Parisi squares. Oh, Parisi squares. I wrote Freezy squares. Free- <laughs> That's better. Freezy. Ooh, better. Ooh. Uh, Freezy squares. And uh, the costumers went all in on the shiny material and um, and then they had leftover from Power Rangers or something. Yeah, and the Bynards also had really cool black turtlenecks with with um, silver sparklies on the sides, and I want that outfit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least uh, in Animal Crossing. Memory Alpha says that Parisi Squares or Parisi Squares was a vigorous and rather violent athletic game played by people from many worlds and ages during the 24th century. And how is this different than dodgeball? Its popularity among youth was a concern for parents. <laughs> it's it's sort of like the sport that they sort of reference as like the ana- analogy to American football of like, this is really dangerous, but it's really fun and we do it anyway. We probably uh. shouldn't do this. Like, there was a whole co- uh, conversation with Worf about the value of competition, too. Right, and like, oh, it's just score? a game. Don't take it seriously. And Worf is like, shut it down. Competition is real. And I'm here for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't know this was a football analogy thing. I, I, That's I what I, I assume. The interesting thing was like they they're wearing pads on their knees and like one arm, but there's like no helmets involved. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You guys don't laugh. This is dodgeball regulation safety Great. wear. No, no, in, I in my it. mind, that's freezy squares for sure. Okay. Freezy squares. <laughs> freezy squares. So we go to Starbase seventy four. Uh, we're getting upgrades, engine modifications. A little behind the scenes facts on this was that this actually was originally intended that this episode was going to take place before the big goodbye, the episode with. Um, Picard with the detective story, um, but the, and the, with the binars modifications causing the problems on that holodeck. Do you remember how oh, that yeah. had mis- malfunctioned at the time? Uh, so that was originally going to be the reason. Hmm. Uh, instead, it was changed to the binars aiming to fix the holodeck to prevent those problems from reoccurring. So as a writer, you have this this scenario of we want to do a holodeck based episode, but we always have to have the stakes and what the stakes are can sort of be interchangeable. Is it that we have to get to the Romulan border to defend some other ships or is it that, you know, the ship is going off itself and going to explode or something like that? But either case, it's the holodeck has gone haywire. Or is it that we arbitrarily set a four-minute timer and we need to rush to yeah. get to the bridge before our timer that we set goes off to explode the entire ship? Right. Timer. That's a short amount of time to get out. Right? Yeah. Four minutes like to, to empty out, what is it, like an 1,100-person crew? Well, the... Well, if you have the power to uh, cut between scenes without actually having to walk down a hallway, then you can save time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the evacuation was not super quick or organized. There was actually some fighting to get into the transporter room at one point, as I recall, right? I wrote down, I really think there would have been more in a real-life situation. Like, people are waiting patiently as four people stand to be transported out. Like, there would be pushing and shoving to be on that platform. You think it'd be a Titanic uh, <laughs> lifeboat situation? Absolutely. Well, yeah. uh, g- going off a little bit of, about that, too, one of the questions that might come up is, like, why is Wesley on the bridge? And why is Wesley in charge of the bridge? And this all kind of uh, goes back to the same thing. Because he got thing. a haircut. 
Because you got a haircut. Uh, when when the starships are attached to a star base, there's a sort of like shore leave mentality. So a lot of the people have left the ship already. The mm. duty shifts are kind of over. The people that are there, it's like a skeleton crew is there. And so when Riker's like, you've got the bridge, it's kind of like dad parked the car in the in the driveway and it's like, here you go, son. <laughs> like, it's not going anywhere and there are mechanics working on it, but you've got the bridge. I um, love that's that. That's a great analogy. Yeah. So that's why I think that the not only is there a lot of confusion about like why are we evacuating if we're parked and not going anywhere and that like two that's why there aren't as many people on the enterprise as, as would have been um, and also there are a lot of transporter rooms so this was just showing that they were you know it's the utopia it's the future so it's very methodical and everyone is calm and we just do what we're told and everything works <laughs> that actually makes more sense to me because uh even if they tell you it's not a drill you're like right. okay but i'm already in a star base i'm not going to go floating off into space i'll actually just go into the star base if something happens to the ship i'm currently standing on so sure i'll get off but i'm not going to rush makes yeah. more sense now also i was very confused as to why a child was left in charge even right. if he is a prodigy so thank right. you for explaining that and he was suspicious of them from the start, wasn't he? Because they, didn't he ask them some questions and they, they said something like they were shady. on their face. Yeah, they were they rolled a deception of zero zero one. Like <laughs> they didn't they didn't say a believable thing. And so Wesley was <laughs> yeah. on to them. And so he was always hanging out asking questions. Well, yeah. Wesley's always investigating and asking questions. And he was trying to figure out what they were doing because it wasn't something that he understood. And it was mm -hmm. because these binards, as they're called, uh, that there was like a little interesting gender thing we should talk about in a minute. Yes. But um, uh, he he asked them like, why are they talking in binary? And they said, oh, see this pack here? The we gesture. are part computer. We are connected to each other because uh, we have this waistband pack that lights up and is a mini computer that looks like a Walkman, and uh, it has its positives, but also its negatives. Dun, dun, dun. We'll find out about that later. What could possibly happen if you give your brain power over to a computer? Uh-oh. But yeah, I, I wanted to bring up the gender thing, too, because I thought this was potentially a great example uh, of non-binary characters. Uh, they they Pat, sort of, pun intended. Totally. It's non-binary binars. Um, <laughs> also, I, in this sort of like uh, explanation, I think it's in the turbo lift, Riker and Picard are talking about what they are going to do with their time off. And Picard mentions his personal relaxation light. And I just, I'm dying to <laughs> know. light? Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna turn on my personal relaxation light and read a book. It's like, what I did also write do? down personal relaxation light. Yeah. I completely missed that. I think I was writing about this, um, this like clarification. Uh, there's the other guy that looks like Picard a little bit. Yeah, um, oh, Quinteros like, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, Quinteros. but like. <laughs> But yeah, but like a, a sexy uh, South American version, mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> I mean they're all sexy. Let's be real. Yeah, all men, huh? And uh, <laughs> he's like, uh, Riker calls them gentlemen, and he says, yes. "Oh no, those are ladies." But I wrote oh, no. down like, "Huh, non-binary wasn't a thing, huh?" Because they feel like they would fit into that category. They, they, Quinteros points out like, "Oh, they they don't follow a gender norm like we. They're not gentlemen or ladies." Like they say that. But then later, when Riker is in the holodeck. Ex like examining their work, he's like, "Boys, da da da," and just yeah. like, have you he seen? He calls the good them place? gentlemen again, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you've seen the Good Place, there's a character of Janet who is a robot, like AI type of thing. And anyone, anytime anyone's like, "Way to go, girl," she's like, "Not a girl."
girl. And I just have that on like reflex now. And he was like, well done, boys. I was like, not boys. They're like, gentlemen, you've done it. Like, not gentlemen. (laughs) Oh, man. Jaded is a great prototype for that. I mean, not prototype. It came after. It was already a a widely recognized concept, but an example of in modern culture that we all love. Janet's the best. Evil Janet's even better. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> Going back to Quinteros real quick, uh, that was actually played by a guy named Gene Dinarski, and he was actually in Star Trek the original series. Uh, oh, really? He was in, yes, he was in twice. Um, I, can't, I can't remember which episodes. Let me see if I can find it. Hmm. Uh, Mud's Women. Oh, so with some of the Harry Mud stuff. Yeah, uh, and The Mark of Gideon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was one of the few ones to actually appear in both the original and a spinoff. This first ep- this first season features a lot of little incidental actors that are coming back to sort of mm-hmm. reprise or portray a new character in this new series. Well, they wanted to give service to the fans, I'm sure, mm-hmm. that you love the original series and we're doing new things and we're bringing in new viewers, but we still want to wink at you guys that were around last time. Right. Here you go. Yeah. Now, it's some something interesting I want to bring up about one zero and zero one once again, uh, is that they're, it's mentioned in that same scene that they're twins. Mm. So I wonder. I'm just. It's occurring to me now. Are all Bynards essentially in a set of two? It seems to be that way, and that's an interesting question. And then what happens if one dies? You know, there there are a lot of interesting implications with this race. Well, if it's similar to the way their computers work, then the other one dies. Mm. Hinting at the finale. It's <laughs> not a fanfare from you today. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, it's no not a problem. No, it's too much. It's uh, too much. But we also we touched a bit on the B plot in that uh, Riker gets seduced into staying in the holodeck along with Picard. But um, uh, <laughs> some great memorable things from that is that we love all jazz except Dixieland because you absolutely cannot dance to it. Mm. Uh, and also Jesus Picard knock when you enter a holodeck. Like yeah. what are you doing? I mean, I think that you need to be able to have. They need to have like a special fake doorknob on the slidey doors so you can put your sock or your hat there. <laughs> yeah. Or just if an, if a holodeck is occupied, that literally could be anything. <laughs> just don't. But then did Riker? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, did Riker leave it unlocked then? Ooh, ah, uh, maybe he, he wants for? to be discovered. Maybe it's he wants the Troy danger. to come in. Yeah. yeah, maybe he's. Uh, if you're not a voyeur, if you're a voyee, what's that called? Right. Exhibitionist. He's there it exhibitionist. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Riker also, is horny on main again. Yeah, horny on main, and which I, I finally looked up what that meant. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. It's on your main social account instead of, like, a fake side account that you make just to be horny on. Right. He's horny (laughs) Horny in front of the other officers in uniform. He's horny on main. I get it now. It makes so much more sense. Sorry. Um, So he's so horny on main because he's on the goddamn clock. Yeah. And uh, and so he's the Bynards are there by the entrance to the holodeck, and they're like, it's been updated. And he's like, cool, let me check this out. Oh, and let me just say I was super upset because he goes, jazz club, Kansas City, yeah. my hometown, 1958. Yeah! I'm Not so excited. <gasps> Never mind. <laughs> New Orleans. <laughs> Riker, eat a dick. <laughs> Eat a dick, Riker. <laughs> well, he does play the bone. Go eat a dick on Maine. Yeah. 
Speaking of which, uh, it would be impossible to conceal a boner in these uniforms. Yeah, I was wondering about that. They have a special cup, don't worry. Oh, okay, okay. Because I was like, Picard's going to come in and just see everything. Yeah, Riker's like, going to been... be at full attention for the captain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, Picard's going to come in. He also picked a New Orleans jazz bar at 2 a.m. where yeah. people should be pretty sloppy. Like, why wouldn't he choose closer to like 10.30 or 11 when the, their drinks are really Because he wants really his sax in? to sound better. Well, also, <laughs> I feel trouble. like this is like a historian that's like only heard about New Orleans and is like, oh, yeah, I heard that that's 2 a.m. is yeah, a good yeah. time or whatever. And only and no blondes can like jazz. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was so rude about it. There was like, a blonde. What? He says, uh-uh, no blondes like jazz. And then like a Just... slightly darker strawberry blonde woman yeah. appears. Uh, oh, yeah. This is jazz. And then I forget why, but he lands on Minuet, the right. love of his life. And I, this brings up really interesting philosophical and moral questions mm -hmm. about the B-plot, the Turing test. She yeah. seems so real because she is real. I mean, she exists within a certain context. She's smart enough, or this programming is smart enough to learn French from the computer as soon as Picard comes in to impress him. Mm -hmm. So so we care about her. And, and this, this is like... Creating this holodeck with this level of intelligence means that you're essentially like murdering all of these holodeck characters every time you reset. Yeah, that's one way of looking at it, huh? <laughs> uh, slaughter no. them in cold, hard, binary blood. Right. I think that you'll find with, especially with Next Gen, a lot of the conversation revolves around like android sentience because we have Data as a character. Um, in Star Trek Voyager, we start to examine hologram sentience because we've got a hologram character that's a part of the main crew. So you're exactly right. As these technologies develop, the question comes about like how much sentience do these holograms have and how much agency should we give them i was wondering about this today because i was like so do we do we classify it when they are aware of their own existence and therefore their potential for non-existence because Ooh. then do we have to like consider that we, we should keep them around or at least consider their choices but then do they make choices because they're programmed and or are their choices a result of their programming it's 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 such a blurry line you bring up an interesting point of the awareness of sentience. This is a huge jump from the big goodbye. Uh, so I'm surprised to hear the fact that they thought of filming them in the other order because uh, of the way the holotech characters respond to their own uh, discussion of their their state. Actually, I disagree. I think it would make more sense if they were flipped because of some of the remarks that Picard makes. If the Binars had done this modification to the deck first and created the character of Minuet, it made it more believable that the 20s uh, gangster characters would accept their sentience so quickly and, or accept their, their being a hologram so quickly. You know what I mean? If the Binars had already made those enhancements, it was less of a shock. But now now when Picard comes in and sees Minuet and says like this is astounding it's like not really because those gangsters were pretty advanced that you ran into uh, earlier I don't too. know she's a lot more advanced than those Maybe. gangsters if you ask me well because they were one dimensional in That's their true. character portrayals and then I, I remember them being sort of uncomprehending at first when they were told that they're holograms now ah uh, that's not true at all this is what? Right. Versus Minuet is like, yeah, I see the door opening. It's fine. I'm a hologram. This right. Is, but that's, that's also so what sweet. she was programmed to do by the yes. Binars. Yeah. She seems, she seems like kind of like a messenger for the yeah. Binars and less an actual hologram, I guess. I, I don't know where I draw the line on that, but she seems like something they set up to like let Riker know, right? And they did a great little drop. I think it was... Um, 
I don't remember which character let it slip, but they said something along the lines of like a computer can analyze all of our little uh, ticks and quirks. Picard says this. Picard says it, and make make decisions of what we would like before we even know. And so that's what they're saying the Binars did. They saw Riker interact with the holodeck and then got a few modifications off of him oh. and were, were able to quickly process what would be the best lure to keep him here. Not so a blonde. It wasn't that, right? It's not a whole lot. But it's not that they needed Riker specifically. It's just that he was there and easy to target to be able to stay in the holodeck. Man, I hope future capturing of Riker just involves brunette women and trombone access. You know, I have a feeling we're mm-hmm. gonna see it again yeah but <laughs> oh well uh we didn't mention the c plot which is data <laughs> learning to paint. painting right <laughs> that line of the blind man teaching the android to paint seemed very reductive and i don't know how i felt about it and i was like I was, Riker, what are you what are you doing i was like he was trying to make a point and i just don't know what the point was like <gasps> yeah it felt Riker like a half-hearted a joke slash Parable? I don't yeah. know what it was. Yeah. That's a page in someone's book. It was like, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did that book sell well? Because I've, I haven't read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was interested in the idea that the holodeck produces smells. I kind of forgot about that aspect of it as well. Mm. Do you think it produces pheromones? Because didn't he, like, Ooh. smell her when he kissed her, I'd imagine? Ooh. That's he very interesting. He specifically did not. He was holding her close, and he said, I can't believe how real you are. Your touch, your feel, the things you say, the things that I want you to say before you even said them. Did he say smell? Because I was thinking smell and I was waiting for him to say it. I thought they mentioned smell. Maybe he referenced it in in, to the bar, but I thought he said he smelled her too. Yeah, and he like went in for like a close sniff of like her shoulder collarbone area, and I was like, intimate. (laughs) It's a great place. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it, it's really interesting to see, you know, where they're placing the limits on the holodeck now, too, because now they're essentially saying it could be anything and it's indistinguishable from reality. Yeah, that's true, that we're in a potential Westworld situation, right? Yeah. yeah. Right, and why would you ever leave if you have access oh, to this? I mean, it could be so addicting. Mm-hmm. Oh, good, because I thought, like, if I were Riker, I would just find my own holodeck on a star base somewhere and never leave if this was all <laughs> yeah. I wanted. We're all going to be Barkley someday. You, you'll get that later. <laughs> uh, Minuet speaks French to Picard. They don't subtitle the French. I always like it when shows don't bother to tell you what they're saying. You don't just have bother. to figure it out. It was an no, artistic choice. No, no, I'm saying that's a great choice. Yeah. When I say don't bother, I, I don't mean they were lazy about it. I mean, they, yeah, they they didn't explain it. We had to kind of uh, figure it out, and it was, it was, it was nice, too. Because it's yeah. not about the words, you know? No, it's, it's about knocking in that one personality trait, the French thing. <laughs> Remember? Remember? Yes. Remember? No children? French? Remember? Right, right. That's See? it. <laughs> uh, okay, so the a problem comes up in sort of midpoint of the show where Data and Jordy are the only ones around to handle it, mm. and they make moves quickly. Data uh, does, yeah. Yeah, Data, uh, there's trouble in main engineering. They describe it as the magnetic containment of antimatter is let loose or something. It's yeah. not magnetized yeah. anymore. The antimatter is going to destroy the whole ship, so they got to offload. Uh, and um, they try one time, you know, uh, Data for Captain, and then he's like, <laughs> nope, nothing happening. I got to do it. Everyone abandoned the ship. And Jordy's like, is this is this too soon? And he goes, based on all information presently available, this course of action is correct. Yeah, and I bud. thought, 
Wow, this sounds like a professional magic player. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Also, I want Data just to tell me what to do all the time. Just be like, calculate this and tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like he does this a couple times in the first season. And I can't remember him doing it a lot more, but maybe we'll see. He like just kind of takes control in his own way. He did it previously. I think, was it last episode or two episodes ago where he was calculating the time back to the Romulan system? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, where he's kind of belaying the uh, pecking order Angel a little one. bit. I yeah, it was Angel, Angel one, 1 because he was the only one that could go back to the ship because yeah. of the virus. Right. And he was he found a nuance to be like, actually, you said right. to do it as quick as I could with this outcome happening. And that <laughs> outcome is impossible. Therefore, I have taken it upon myself to follow this other course of action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the shot when he first announces uh, that all hands should abandon ship. I'm not sure if you guys notice it, but there's like three extras in a corridor. They listen to the message and they go all in a completely different direction. <laughs> Scatter. No one one heads for the same exit. They all head for different exits. Well, I think they were being rational. There's many different transportation transport pods. They have to check yeah, in with their families. They, there's a huge long announcement as if they hadn't planned for this before. They're like assigning yeah. people during the evacuation. Okay, so have you ever been on a cruise before? I yes. hadn't until recently. Uh, I, I, we did, as library bards, we did a cruise last year and I didn't know the elaborate like procedures that the they drill. go to, the drills and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Of like And, and watching this now I'm like oh this is exactly what it is like everyone gets assigned a place to go you would get assigned a shuttle or a transportation pad or whatever so I thought that it was really well done they've got it down to a really great system on those cruise ships because they even have like little signs on the floor so uh, everybody can figure it out like you have to be really dense to not get it (laughs) and when we're talking on cruise lines, that's possible. You know? Right. You gotta design for the lowest common denominator, Jake. There's always that person. Uh, oh, I know. I stood, I stood behind them at the buffet plenty of times. I'm yeah. aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've got oh, the gosh. drink package, so they. <laughs> yeah. I've never been on a cruise, and uh, it's a based time. on the way the world's going, I may yeah. never get. They to. have to remind those people not to bring the drinks to the drill. Yeah. Like you can't have a 32 ounce drink with you while you're boarding the lifeboat. I don't understand. I have two hands. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Only one drink. Uh, I just before we move on from this scene with Jordy and Data, I just was really blown away with this scene. I thought that the acting really stepped up. The intensity of this moment was very much there. Like, I mm-hmm. I find that um earlier in the show there was a lot of shots where they just got the the wide shot where you see like you know. Uh, uh, the cowboy shot thighs up basically of everybody and and that's when an actor can sometimes get into a place where it's like I'm not sure what to do with my body do I just stand still or like you got way too much of me in the frame here and this (laughs) uh, the framing was very uh, deliberate and intense and there was like a lot of movement to it that Mm -hmm. was conveying the intensity of the situation And, and this episode in particular another instance where I was just like everything is stepped up a little bit yeah. I, don't, I don't know we're about midway through the season and they're combining the tricks because when they first started off they're using the tricks of the soap opera which was very stationary camera it's quick two shots let's get the scene and get out now that it had some popularity and they could use some of the footage from the motion picture I assume uh, they could sort of match that by taking their time and actually setting up shots and and going through so I I think you can kind of see that and I feel like um, Patrick Stewart has sort of like elevated the cast to this level of like everyone wants to perform now 
Uh, they found the the heart of these characters, and you can kind of see that in in this too with the the pairings because we see that theme with the binars, but then we see that with Picard and Riker. They are a pair together, and they need mm-hmm. to oh, auto- yeah. activate their. Um, the self-destruct together or cancel mm-hmm. it together. They're working in the same way as the binars, and we see that with uh, Jordy and Data, in that Data feels guilty about the choices that he had to make, and and Jordy has to be the sort of stoic one of like, no, you made the right calls. You are like calculating, but you did the right thing. You know, you need time to discover your painting. <laughs> ah, oh. Yeah. Well, I want to talk more about the buddy cop of uh, Riker and Picard, but then we sort of go down to the the space base for a little bit uh, because everybody's evacuated except for our two heroes in the holodeck in Jazz Town, and then everybody else is like can't even scan for them on the ship because right. the the Bynards steal the ship which we haven't really talked about yet. They mm-hmm. steal the ship because they had faked all this uh, antimatter situation, and then right. it just zooms off, and it's like, wait a minute, the car was... <laughs> so that was the keys in the car. Yeah, that was the protocol that Data initiated so that if it did blow up, it wouldn't blow up while it was attached to the station. So the protocol was get everybody off and then zoom it away because we can't stop this from exploding. The uh, sort of reaction oh. for all space Federation-based st- spacecraft is this uh, matter and antimatter reaction, converting or sort of like cycling between matter and antimatter, and then we contain it with this magnetic field uh, within this warp core. So if the magnetic field like sort of uh, comes apart, then this reaction is unstable, and it's like a nuclear-type reaction where it would just obliterate everything. So the warp core is very unstable on its on its own. Uh, the use of dilithium crystals and things like that could it, it all makes it very unstable. Um, and so they they go through their techno babble of like there's for some reason this field is destabilizing. We got to get everybody off or the whole thing is going to explode. So he's like instead of that let's evacuate everybody, send it off, and then they discover it's magically getting better on its own. And then you can tell this was a part of the binars plan the whole time. And uh, listeners, I'll be putting a link to Xander's Engineering 101 class yeah. at <laughs> Pasadena Community College. Um, it's going to be opening up this semester, but um, I think it'll be online for the first session. Yeah. The thing is, you start to understand the technobabble. <laughs> yeah, no, bizarre. there is a logic to it when you yeah. start to hear it repeated. And you're like, oh, they used that one before. I'm starting to get it. Maybe they should increase that. And then you hear them make that yeah. solution. And you're like, it's ah! so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and concerning at the same time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but you it know, makes it fun to role play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, that's a good. Uh, you should plug your show right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I play an engineer on Clear Skies, the Star Trek RPG show over at Q Times. Uh, where can that be found? Twitch.tv slash QTimes. And I'll put a link to that in the description. Heck yeah. Wow. Um, so not in addition to that opening <laughs> shot of the um, Starbase being pulled from Star Trek Three, The Search for Spock, the whole sequence of stealing the Enterprise is actually a little bit lifted from that movie as well. Oh, um, I believe it. I'm not going to talk all about that film, but that scene where they, um, where Kirk and his crew actually steal the Enterprise from Stardock is, I think, one of my favorite scenes of the original movies. I'll put a, I'll put a link to the scene on YouTube in the description. It also is scored really well. And yeah. speaking of score, uh, this, um, this episode won an Emmy Award for outstanding sound editing. 
I didn't know that. I just found that out, as a matter of fact. Now, I think it's mostly for, like, the sound editing, not just the composition of music or anything like that. But still, I really enjoyed the music in this episode as well. There's something about that scene where... It's super slow. It's in a quarter mm-hmm. impulse power. Mm-hmm. And in the actual movie, uh, the Enterprise is slowly pulling out a space dock, and the, the Excelsior, a larger <laughs> ship, is actually slowly following it. And there's, like, a lot of tension going at, like, five miles an hour. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it's one of the <laughs> coolest aspects of Star Trek is that they somehow made that exciting. And the score to it is absolutely brilliant by James Horner. I highly recommend everybody listen to it and get inspired. Wow, we brought it today. <laughs> uh, okay, I just want to talk a little bit about As Things Flip and uh, Picard and Riker save the day. So Mm -hmm. you were talking about how they really paired off characters and there's just, they be, they, when they figure out what's happening, they interview the computer to find out the situation (laughs) and come up with a plan on the fly. They start walking down the hallway in step with one another and Mm -hmm. they go into the weapons locker and you kind of like, I love that they're walking together. It was just, it was just so powerful. They were walking very close. Yeah, <laughs> and then they go into the weapons locker, and you assume they're going to come out with like twenty-five guns and an ammo belt across their chest, and they step out, and they each have a phaser. One phaser. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that uh, we can kind of see that some of the shots would that would be okay seem a little uncomfortably close because of the angle of the camera on some of it, especially Riker just getting in Picard's like personal space. Yeah, yeah. The blocking was strange that way. I wonder if yeah. they were just the way the production had pushed up the cameras or something in the corridor? I think that's maybe. That's what I would guess. Yeah. Now let's talk about how we would justify if you're trying to scare the people, I guess, that stole your ship into letting you onto the bridge when you know it might be locked. (laughs) Would you set a timer for four minutes worth of negotiation and getting into the bridge? (laughs) When you need to teleport in and might get shot when you get there? And they were kind of just power walking. They weren't running. Yeah. Like, this is a short amount of time here. (laughs) Uh, and then, and then we cut to the the star base and get the saddest line of the episode, which was, "I should not have been painting." Yeah. <laughs> you should always be painting, Data. You yeah. should always be painting. Well, this right? goes back to the real question: Do we allow sentient beings to uh, paint when they can be working twenty four hours if they don't need to sleep? Right. It's the same argument that you can bring up with Minuet. Uh, Does she continue to exist when the hologram is not on, or does Mm. she exist only when you go in? I kind of felt a little more sorry for the 20s gangsters in some way, even though she's much more charming than them, because they actually went and kind of had hope and then just disintegrated and watched themselves disintegrate, which was kind of traumatizing. (laughs) That's true. I felt bad for those guys. Well, we promised that we talk about what happened to the Binards, which is that mm-hmm. when you fuse your own brain with a supercomputer, uh, you are making yourself vulnerable to an electromagnetic pulse from mm-hmm. a supernova. So a star went supernova before they thought it would. They knew that they had to download their data onto the biggest computer they could possibly find. And I guess our very own Enterprise, this galaxy-class st- ship, is... Uh, maybe the most powerful thing uh, floating around the universe right now because they that's why they steal it is because mm-hmm. their whole collective knowledge of their people can be saved by downloading it to the ship and then after the EMP downloading it back to the planet's computer so there you go they didn't even plan. it wasn't even stealing it was just borrowing yeah they, they realize their near file capacity though when they find uh, Riker dot trombone dot hollow like it's a huge file it's just way massive. too big yeah ooh does he really know how to play the trombone 
Or can you download a thing that moves Ooh, like it for you and makes, yeah, exactly, mm. makes you instantly good at trombone? <gasps> I guess I that's like... even more now. <laughs> right. That's like playing a, a game of magic on the computer and just automatically being good at it. Like, oh, like what's, what's the point? shots fired. No, no, uh, I'm just saying it's more fun to play the trombone than it would be just to have the computer do it for you and sit there and listen to trombone music. Wow, okay. <laughs> you tell me if you want to tap Wilderness Reclamation three times and choose the correct mana. Well, we made it know. 14 episodes before we had to quit because yeah. the relationships just didn't work out. Good try, guys. <laughs> Uh, okay. I liked this episode. I like. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was a good classic Trek episode in terms of like a great A and B plot that did a lot of questions for both an alien species and some holodeck stuff, some fun um, starship maneuvering. It was great. Yeah, yeah, there was some like a little little teensy bit of misogyny that I could do without in dealing with Minuet, but that's yeah. Yeah, okay, you mean whatever. Riker shopping for women? That was yeah. really awkward. Yeah, <laughs> all of it, <laughs> and pretty much just judging them by their hair color. Right, and then talk to any. The blonde could have been, uh, like, an absolute genius. Also, never know. Isn't it just hair color? Just dye the same actress's (laughs) hair, right? Like, (laughs) it could be the same woman. Yeah, paying the same woman to come back for two different days after dyeing her hair costs more. There you go. To have that set rather than just paying two more actresses a day rate. Yikes! Uh, But yeah, we we learned a lot. We learned uh, that you know uh, when you like program a sex doll she might be hard to forget uh keep that's the lesson we all learned today yeah yeah when you program a sex doll (laughs) oh man he's not gonna forget that one anytime soon (laughs) real quick i know that we've gone off on a few tangents on this one but becca uh i had the thought like during this episode for me if they had programmed like a bunch of just beautiful men that I could go and like be in a jazz club with. I don't think that there would be a combination of that of a hologram that would get me so like enticed that I wouldn't be like I'm going to do this later. Like I, I don't know oh, for you uh, do you think that there would be? Yes. Are you asking if something could hit all your buttons just by a glance? Is that what you're saying? To the are, point are where Are you asking if if we're as much of horn dogs as Riker? As Riker. Is? Yeah. Oh. I'm like yeah. would this work on me? I, I don't know. <laughs> I Jason guess Momoa depends. with three different hair colors and a holodeck? <gasps> yeah. Okay. All right. We got there. <laughs> uh, that was 11001001. And next week, we get to go see Too Short a Season. When an elderly Starfleet admiral hides a deadly secret, he leads the Enterprise D into a hostage rescue mission. Engage. Engage. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay. Yeah, we did actually. Jake, did you say it too? I did, but I whispered it. We all whispered it. I, I said it. 